Good morning, church. How are we doing? Good. Well, my name is Kenny Baker. I have the privilege, the honor to serve as one of the pastors here at Park Community Church. And I, I want to I give you an interesting fact about myself. Uh, I am one of the few people in the world qualified to write a book on a very specific subject. If I were to write this book, it would be entitled, How to Break Through the Friend Zone. How to break through the friend zone. You see, when I was in junior high, I started going to church for the same reason that every junior high boy went to church, girls and basketball. (laughs) While I was there, I saw this girl walking towards me, and no lie, I'm not kidding you, what crossed my mind the moment I saw her was, I'm going to marry that girl one day. I'm going to marry her. I know it's a little weird. You're in junior high and you're already thinking about marriage, but ladies, aren't you looking for a man who doesn't have commitment issues? Yes. (laughs) So I pursued her. I put on my best charm. I told my best jokes. I, I made every witty comment that came to mind. I did everything I could to be around her so she could get to know me and that she could realize she wanted to marry me too. And after laying a solid foundation of personality and charm, I I went to make my move and quickly got the label, funny friend. Not the label I was looking for. I wanted to be her boo. (laughs) Funny friend. We can hang out, but that's it. I wanted to be her boo. So long story short, for six years, I kept the friendship going while making all the little moves I could to break through the friend zone. After years of perseverance and many late nights of listening to every 90s R&B group I could, Jagged Edge and Jodeci and 112 and anybody with me. (laughs) After they all got me through a tough season in my life. Boys to men, I was on bended knee. I took it all the way back to the temptations, and I said, God, I ain't too proud to beg for this woman. (laughs) They got me through a tough season. And six years go by, and I'm in college, and so I go and I get my own apartment, I get my own car, I get a stable job making money, slinging pizzas, delivering pizzas. Hey, there's money in them delivery driver things. I had one bill, $300 for rent, and I I was pulling that down like in two nights, so I was just like eating barbecue every day, and (laughs) but what happened was I got a job, I, I got some money in my pocket, I started taking care of myself, and suddenly I turned from funny friend to intriguing prospect. We started being around each other a little more. I started maybe, maybe not just being the witty guy who tried to say the funny thing, but I was taking care of business. Amen, ladies? <laughs> so in a last-ditch effort, I told myself, she says, no, this time I'm done. I got to move on. This has been too long. Too long, God. Having been rejected a few times before, I asked her to go on a date, and she said yes. 
She said, yes, that's an amen and a hallelujah moment. (laughs) Needless to say, I just needed one chance because she is now my beautiful wife and the mother of my two kids. For all my theologians in the room, it was an effectual call. It was an effectual call. She, she couldn't resist. I said, I just need one date. And it, well, I'll leave all the details. I just need one date. You'll be hooked for life. I was confident. But what's interesting is my wife has, she had no idea that the entire time I was her friend, I was also pursuing a relationship with her. She, she had no idea until after we started dating, after we got married, that uh, I had always wanted something much deeper. And now, I'd asked her, but then I remained friends. So she thought, okay, he's good with just being friends. But deep down, I wanted much more. I was just hanging on to the friend zone just in case I could become that intriguing prospect. She had no idea that I wanted a deeper relationship with her. It wasn't until we were in a relationship that she realized my commitment to chasing after her. I waited in the seasons of waiting, and I pushed in the seasons I needed to push. But all along, the deepest desire of my heart was, I'm trying to, trying to marry this girl. I'm trying to get a commitment. I'm committed to her. And so this morning, uh, my story is not just simply about me, but we can see a lot of our stories here in the book of Jonah. You see, this morning we're beginning a new series in the book of Jonah. We're calling the series The Pursuit because we will see in 48 verses, spanning four chapters, that God pursues us, that God is chasing after us. He pursues the hurting. He pursues uh, those who have doubts. He pursues the angry, the brokenhearted, the rebellious. And it's in Jonah's story that we will see our story. You see, though we have been lost in our wickedness, we have been distant from God in our disobedience, and we have been helpless in our commitment to other gods, we have a God who pursues a devoted relationship with his people. Jonah is known as a story where the prophet ran from God and got swallowed up by a fish. But we'll see in this historical narrative uh, that it's a story about a God and who his, in his unrelenting mercy, he displays his character through his compassion and his mercy. And he displays his sovereignty through his power over creation. You see, Jonah and the fish, the shipmates, and the city of Nineveh, In the book of Jonah, these are just characters in the story about God's pursuit of his people. Jonah is not about a fish, it's about a big God. If I could sum up my sermon in one sentence, I'm sure you've picked up so far, it would be this, God pursues his people. So turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. We'll read verses 1 through 6. Stand together as we read God's word. We stand in honor of the God who gave us his word. So Jonah 1, 1 through 6 reads like this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. 
But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. God, we come before you now. And we pray through the proclamation of your word and your character through your word, God, that you would change our hearts this morning. God, I pray that we would come away knowing you uh, intimately, deeply into a committed relationship with you because you have pursued after us. Lord God, let your truth be powerful this morning. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. So let's take a look at verses 1 and 2, just to get a little background to Jonah. Uh, it says in verse 1, now the, Lord, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. You see, Jonah was a prophet. He was a prophet for the nation of Israel during the time of King Jeroboam II. In the book at 2 Kings chapter 14, we get to see a very brief glimpse of Jonah's time as a prophet of Israel. In fact, if we didn't have 2 Kings 14 talking about Jonah, we might not know who, who this is. Because when you read it, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. It's as if it's just you're in the middle of a story and all of a sudden you get this. And so 2 Kings 14 gives us this brief glimpse of Jonah's time. You see, Jonah, while he was a prophet in Israel, the nation of Israel grew and it prospered. But the problem was their king was evil. Their land grew. It was as big as uh, it grew to as big as in Solomon's day, in their heyday. It was it was looking good, but their king was evil. And 2 Kings 14:27 says this: But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under the sun, so he saved them. Even though uh, the nation of Israel and the king appointed there to lead Israel were disobedient. God chose not to blot them out from the face of the earth. He chose to save them. You see what's happening here? Jonah was a prophet who saw firsthand the compassion and the mercy of God on a disobedient nation. Jonah saw God's compassion. He saw his mercy on even a disobedient nation. So now Jonah has this new assignment as God's prophet. He's asked to do what no other prophet up until this point has ever been asked to do before. Look at verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. God asked Jonah to go into a Gentile nation 
to go into a non-Jewish city and call it out for its evil. The prophets in that time were calling out Israel, and they would prophesy, and it would involve some some thoughts and some uh, words to uh, the foreign nations, but But Jonah's the first one who has to now go into a Gentile nation to go into enemy territory. And God tells him to do what? I want you to talk bad about them. I want you to call out their sin. So before we get a little too judgmental about Jonah running from God, we need to realize God's assignment to Jonah was not easy. It was not easy. It was no cakewalk. He asked him to go to a very large, extremely populous, that's what it meant by the great city, extremely wicked and cruel people at that time, and tell them that God will destroy them because of their wickedness. Anybody in this room want that call on their life? Anybody want the call to plop down into an enemy country who would hate us and to say, God's going to bring you down because you don't worship him? Anybody want that assignment? You see, the Ninevites especially were a difficult people because they they would skin their captives alive. The commanders in the army would walk around like Mr. T, and and on their chains would be the heads of those they defeated. They would leave their bodies of their enemies piled up in the streets. Their practices of cruelty were disgusting and frightening. So we could draw a lot of conclusions about why Jonah didn't want to go. We, we, we could look at this and say he was a nationalist. He was, he was racist. Or we could just say he was just plain fearful to go. But Jonah himself tells us why he didn't want to go. In chapter 4, verse 2 of Jonah, it says, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew they would repent and God would be merciful to them. Now, we could look at this book and say this, this story is about Jonah and, and try to figure out his motivations for everything. And we could try to figure out how do we fit in to this. But really, what, what the Lord is doing through his word, through the book of Jonah, is he, he is teaching us a lot about Jonah and the attitudes and motivations for serving God and obeying God and worshiping God. But the book of Jonah is going to tell us an awful lot about a gracious God. It's going to tell us a lot about the character of God. We hear a lot that the God of the Old Testament was angry, that he was judgmental, that he was harsh, and that the God of the New Testament is more the care bear God who who opens up and, and wants you to give him a hug. But I'm here to tell you that 
that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And the God of the New Testament is the God of the Old Testament. And he has always been loving. He has always been kind. He has always been gracious. He's always been merciful. And we see that right here in the Old Testament in the book of Jonah. Maybe it's that the people of God weren't always loving and gracious and kind. Because here in Jonah, God's pursuit of the Ninevites shows us God pursues people that nobody else wants to pursue. God is chasing after the people that nobody else wants to go after. If any people deserve to be destroyed in their wickedness, it was the Assyrians in Nineveh. But God gave them a chance. The Word of God doesn't explicitly tell us Jonah's motivations for not wanting to go, but it clearly tells us God's motivations for sending him so he could extend mercy to a people who didn't deserve mercy. That's good news for somebody here this morning. That's a shouting moment. Please hear this. If you've lived a life that could be classified as nothing less than wicked or evil, the God of the Bible, the most high God, is still pursuing you for a relationship. He's not getting weary chasing after you. He, he, he's still coming after you. If he can go after the Ninevites, he can go after you. If someone came in here wearing the head of their enemy who they had slain and sat down right here, we as a church could look at the word of God and say, the Lord is coming after you. God wants you. God loves you. He is pursuing you. He wants to change you. That's the type of God that we're here to talk about this morning. And maybe you're in a season where you feel like all the desires of your hearts and and all the actions that follow are just rebellious or they're sinful or you just feel defiled. Well, God's pursuit of the Ninevites should give you hope that mercy is still available to you. Because God pursues His people. He even pursues people that nobody else wants to pursue. If you feel like nobody wants you, if you feel like nobody cares for you, if you feel like nobody is coming after you, you are in good company because God is still willing to come after you. Now, how does God pursue those that nobody else wants to pursue? Well, notice this. God notices them before they ever notice God. He takes notice of them before they ever recognize him. God says, go to Nineveh for their evil has come up before me. God notices. He sees their condition. He sees their wickedness. He sees their destruction. He sees their plight. And then he acts. And Nineveh was going through a tough time as a city during this time. And a lot of scholars believe that that's what made their hearts open to a God. That's what made their hearts open to mercy is because they were experiencing some famine. They were experiencing some weakness as a country, as a nation, as a city. And what happens is God sees them before they ever see God. You see, the nature of sin, 
The nature of evil wickedness is that it is always first and foremost against God. They were cruel to people. They were wicked to those surrounding them. But their wickedness and evil first offended God. Psalm 51, King David has just run through a gamut of sin. And he says, against you, God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and on the good. If you have never paid no mind to God, if you have uh, written God off, if you think God is too preoccupied for you, the Word of God says that He notices you and He is in the act of pursuing you, whether you know it or not. Because God pursues his people. Who are his people? Psalm 139 says that he formed you and he knit you in your mother's womb. So everyone who has ever been born, everyone who has ever been formed, everyone who has ever been uh, created, it's been by God himself making you one of his. So there's no people that we can look at and say, God, it, it, they don't, they're not God. They, they, they have nothing to do with God. No, God created them. They're his people. And God pursues his people. He'll even pursue those who are paying him no mind. And he does that by sending people to them who know him. He sends people who do know God into the lives of those who don't know God. So which one are you? Are you somebody who feels like God wants nothing to do with you because you know of your failures? You live a life that is destructive to yourself and others. God's word tells us that he is a merciful God and that you aren't too far gone for his mercy. Or are you someone who knows God like a Jonah, but doesn't want to see God's mercy extended towards certain people or towards a certain person. Do you believe that God's mercy should stop with you? See, we have this radical call on our life to go throughout all the world and to tell of God's great mercy. God wants to send Jonah simply to tell the truth about God. And look at Jonah's response in verses 3 and 4. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. Uh, he's making the point here. He says Tarshish three times, which is hard for a southern boy with an accent to say over and over again. But he's saying it three times to let you know that, that he is not going to Nineveh. He's going in the opposite direction of God, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Verse 3 tells us Jonah didn't want to pursue the same people God wanted to pursue. Not only does God pursue those who are utterly lost, God's pursuit of Jonah in these verses show us that God pursues those who know him and yet are still disobedient to him. Uh, these, 
there are some of us in this room who know God, who have experienced a regeneration of our hearts, and yet we choose to just disobey God. God asked Jonah to go to Nineveh, and he got up immediately, and he went to Tarshish. It was the opposite direction of where God told him to go. And I want us to notice just a couple of things about Jonah's disobedience. It says that the word of God came to Jonah. See, Jonah rebelled against the word of God. He was running from a call on his life. And some of us are doing the same things with our lives. We, we know God has called us to a work or to a mission, and we aren't going. So we rebel. We run away from that call. We run away from the Word of God. Some of us in this room are just running from certain passages of Scripture. And so maybe we agree with most of the Word of God, but there are just a few things in here we can't get down with. And so like the Thomas, Thomas Jefferson Bible, we just rip out all the parts that we don't like. We tear it away. But God's word says in 2 Timothy, it's, it's complete. It's whole. All scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the child of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You see, some of the root of our disobedience is an absence of the Word of God equipping us for righteousness in every good work. Some of us aren't actively trying to run from God, but we're not running towards God through His Word. And so our lives begin to drift from God. But the good news is God pursues even those who are disobedient. But please hear this. Please hear this. God's pursuit of us, His compassion towards us, his unrelenting grace poured out on us does not diminish his sovereignty over us. His kindness is not a license to run. Though he's gracious with us in our running and our rebellion, our rebellion and our running is not gracious to us. Verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. God graciously pursued Jonah, but he sent a storm to remind him who he was running from. God sent the storm in Jonah's life and in his disobedience. Sometimes the most gracious and the most loving thing God can do is not let you have what you are chasing at. Oh, it's so gracious of God to prevent our chase of, of worthless pursuits. Sometimes the most uh, gracious and loving thing God can do in our lives is to send us through a storm. To make us dependent on him. To make us look back to him as we are running from him. Sometimes the most gracious things that he can do is to let our plans for life fall apart. 
we are pursuing the wrong thing, if we were pursuing anything in the opposite direction of God, a storm is gracious because it will draw us back to God. Because you know, it takes our pursuits falling apart to wake us up to God's call on our life and his plan for our life. God pursued Jonah in his disobedience but he wouldn't let him be satisfied in his disobedience. In fact, in verse 3, it tells us that Jonah found a ship and he paid the fare and he went down into it. This phrase, paid the fare, signifies in the Hebrew language that he would have paid a hefty price. It would have been as if he rented the cost of the entire boat and shipmates and luggage himself. He paid a hefty price to rent this boat so he could flee to Tarshish. You see, Jonah was disobedient to God because he knew that obedience to God might cost him something. And it does. And many of us are disobedient to God because we aren't willing to pay the price that it costs to obey God. There is always a sacrifice in obedience to God. But the story of Jonah here lets us know that the cost of disobedience is far higher than the cost of obedience. The cost of For running from God is always far higher than running to God. Being sent by God. You know, one of the reasons why Nineveh was so wicked and evil is because their sins were violent and devastating to other human beings. The sheer cruelty they were committing against God's creation was a deep offense to God. And now Jonah's sin was just as violent against his shipmates. His sin became a violent storm that began to tear apart their livelihood. They lost the cargo. The ship started to threaten to rip apart. You see, in his disobedience, Jonah became the very kind of person he hated. And a lot of times when we look at others and judge them harshly and don't like them, it's because we see the same sin in them that we see in ourselves. See, this cost for running from God is very high. Jonah's disobedience cost him financially. It's costing his character. And it's now costing those around him and who are associated with him. It's costing them their livelihood. Our sin and rebellion against God impacts those around us. And there was this mighty tempest on the sea rocking the boat. And this word for tempest is something, it's a storm out of the ordinary. It was out of the it was unlike any other storm. It was so violent, it was threatening to rip the boat apart. So uh, disobedience has many costs and, and, and they are high costs. But God still pursues even those who run from him. One of the major costs of running from God is that our disobedience may lead us to believing that we are too far gone. One of the costs of disobedience is that we no longer believe that God is chasing after us. 
says Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. And his destination, Tarshish, was away from the presence of the Lord. God doesn't notice me. He's not with me. I've left his presence. God is too busy tending to other people, people who please him. He seems to be busy blessing other folks to worry about my little disobedient self. But Jonah knew better than to think he could outrun God because Psalm 139 says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. See, some of us are far from God because we are like the Ninevites. We've given ourselves over to every wicked desire we have. Some of us are running from God because we aren't willing to pay the price for obedience. But the price of disobedience we'll still have to pay. And some of us are like the mariners in verse 5. It says, then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, laid down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. They were fearful. They, they, didn't, they, they were grasping for straws. They were grabbing for anything that might, that might save them. And some of us are like them that when things in our lives start to shake, we are grasping for an answer, but, but the things we rely on don't save us or they don't come through for us. They were calling out to their God and the captain wakes Jonah up who's sleeping in the midst of all the chaos that he has caused. And the captain tells Jonah to call out to his God so that perhaps the God might give him a thought. These mariners had no confidence that the gods they were crying out to heard them or would even take the time to notice them and respond. Let me ask you this. Those things that you chase in disobedience from God, do you truly have confidence in them? Do you really think they will save you? Do you really think they can calm the storm? Like we see in Jonah, we know the answer to this. They had no confidence that their God was going to come through. But what we see in Jonah's story is not only does God give a thought to us when we cry out to him, but he gave a thought to us long before we ever gave a thought to him. He gave a thought to us long before we ever gave a thought to him. He pursues us. He pursued us when we were pursuing everything but him. And the cry of the captain's heart is that they would not perish. Now, do not miss this. The captain is proclaiming the same thing to Jonah that God was proclaiming to him. You can't run from God's word. God told Jonah to go and call out the sin in Nineveh so that they would cry out to God and not perish. But now Jonah finds himself in the same exact situation that Nineveh was in. His sin, his running from God, his pursuit of things that led him away from the presence of the Lord has brought him to a place where he must now call out to that same merciful God so that he will not perish. 
Now Jonah is put in the position where he has to call out for mercy from God. The same mercy Jonah wasn't willing to extend to Nineveh, he was now in need of it. God knew Jonah's rebellion, and Jonah knew God's mercy. I don't know where you're at with the Lord this morning, but I would venture to think that you are aware of how you may be running from God. Or you know the areas of disobedience in your life because you are paying the price for it. Or maybe you just feel like you are far from the presence of the Lord. But in order to come to know this merciful God, this compassionate God, you must come to a place of knowing your need for his mercy. Whatever may be rocking you right now or unsettling your life right now is pointing you to the creator of the sea and the land. It's pointing you to the God who can send prophets to Gentile cities to save a nation. Or he can send a wind and a storm to save a prophet. The gospel that we preach here every Sunday is that we have a God who notices us in our mess long before we ever took notice of him. We have a God who before time began had a plan in place to save his people from perishing. John 3 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not what? Should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You see, unlike Jonah, Jesus was willing to go to a wicked people and not only proclaim the mercies of God to them, but he was willing to take the judgment of God for them. God has not only pursued us and and gave us thought to make us his people, but as it says in Ephesians 1, he planned before the foundations of the world to save us through the person and the work of Jesus. If you are distant from God, he has pursued you and he is wanting to draw you near. If you are consumed in your own wickedness, your own filth, God has taken notice and he has taken action on your behalf. If if your life feels like it's falling apart, Jesus calms the storms. If you are paying the price for your disobedience to God, Christ paid the ultimate price for your disobedience. And he will supply everything you need according to the riches of his mercy. I want you to hear this morning, church, that God has done the heavy lifting God has pursued you. He is pursuing you. Whether you are disobedient, or whether you are distant, or whether you are evil, or whether you are confused, or whether you are lonely, or whether the world has left you on the side of the road to die, God is pursuing you. He's coming after you in whatever condition you may be in. He's done the heavy lifting. He's paid the price for you through Christ. And now, the first step back to God, and that we'll see over these next several weeks, it's like the mariner said, call out to your God. 
call out to your God because he has taken notice of you and he will not let you perish. Call out to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you've done the heavy lifting. We thank you that Jesus pursued us, that he came after us, that he didn't go in the opposite direction of us, but he came and sat down right in the middle of us. And he not only proclaimed the truth about God, he not only proclaimed the truth uh, about, how, about salvation, but God, he paid the price for it. And so God, I pray for those here this morning who feel distant from God, who feel like they are nowhere near the presence of God, that God has nothing to do with their life. God, I pray that they would take the step this morning in calling out to you, that they would call back to you this morning, God. Because you're a God who pursues your people. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.